I'm Dooner here with the dude, Michael Vincent, and it feels like Tuesday. It does feel like <laughs> You're exactly right. It's raining outside, which is odd, too, here in Freight Alley. Hey, it stayed at bay over the 4th of July weekend, too, and I think that that extra $0.9 billion, that $900 million in consumer fireworks sales, mm-hmm. I think they were all going off around me. It was like a war zone in it, it, it felt like the Civil War. Yeah. What is going on? It's well, such a bang, 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 bang. So we went down to Miller Park, and yeah. Miller Park, they like threw this thing together with two weeks. They didn't yeah. have fireworks. They did like a laser show. Oh, cool. But the cool part is we got, when we were driving home, there was just like pe- like just random people shooting off fireworks everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It was, it's absolutely insane. It's wild just stuff. Constant but, explosions. You know, so tell me if I'm the a-hole here, though. So okay. over the weekend, I ordered some Uber Eats, right? I ordered from mm-hmm. Tzatziki's right next door to us. Order myself a veggie euro, my wife a veggie euro, and a Greek salad. Uber Eats brings it over. I look on the receipt from Tzatziki's. One euro, one Greek salad. They don't bring the other, the other euro. I understand. Mistakes happen. Yeah. So I contact Uber Eats customer support. I said, uh, yeah, hey, I didn't get the euro. Can you bring me another euro? Yeah. Like you normally would when you used to call places. And they're like, no, we will just refund the money for the euro, which is fine. But here is my contention, Michael Vincent. I'm in a worse position than when I initially ordered because now, now what they really should have done, in my opinion, is waive the delivery fees and the tip... And I'll, I'll pay for the euro. I want it delivered to me, though. Yeah. Now I would have to buy it again and pay the delivery fees again for their mistake. Yeah, I agree. And they're like, we can't do anything about it. No, I think you're, I think you're in the clear here. Do you I mean, let's be, let's be honest. Let's just get cut to you. Yeah. You are a masshole. Yes. In this instance, you're right, though. I would say so. I think you're dead on, man. Because I mean, it's no good. The refund does nothing for you. You're out a euro. I'm out a euro. How yeah. am I supposed to get a And it's like a scam. I got to pay you again those delivery fees that I already gave you and you didn't render your service. And I, I get it. There's multiple parties involved in this yeah. transaction. Tzatziki's and Uber Eats. But here's the thing. Yeah. You have your driver. Your driver should cross-reference the receipt before they bring it. And if you don't, you mess it up. Then go back and bring me the euro. Yeah, that's exactly right. Don't, you know, if it was a drone, you could hold it hostage like the Suez Canal. Right? Yeah, like the Suez Canal. You know, good. We'll get. We'll have some good news about that when we get to the headlines. And you know, some would say freight is like riding a horse. If it feels comfortable, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. It's a little Ted Lasso, actually. I finally started that last night because my uh, Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus, is going to cancel yeah. at the end of the month. So um, I, I started checking it out. I made it one episode. I haven't gotten fully what, in. Everyone says how now? great it is. Ted have Lasso. You? Okay. Apple TV Plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this episode is not brought to you by Ted Lasso, but it is no. brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships throughout standing customer service since 2007. Learn more at Tell Em Dude. Oh, man, go to newlegendinc.com immediately after the show. Headlines. Headlines. Headlines are here. They're everywhere. There we go. The Ever Given is finally moving. The ship, it had been impounded for three months near the canal city of Ismalia by the uh, Suez Canal Authority, but they finally agreed to terms on this deal to release it. Yeah. They initially wanted, uh, the SCA, what they had asked for $916 million in compensation, yeah. they wa- and included in that, they wanted $300 million for a salvage bonus and $300 million for a loss of reputation. They dropped that to $550 million during the negotiations. The ship owners last week, they ordered $150 million. Um, what they actually settled on is unknown, but what is known is that today... The uh, the ship started moving. Fraser was my delivery guy, apparently. 
Oh, Frazier did it? Oh, That's okay. what it says right there. Yeah, okay. Frazier, deliver- Frazier where's the uh, year on my yeah, my According to the BBC, speaking at a signing ceremony, which is interesting that there was a signing ceremony, SEA lawyer Khalid Ab- Ab- Abubakar said... Uh, said the authority was committed to keeping the terms of the agreement confidential. I bet yeah. they were. In a recorded message broadcast at the event, Yakito Higaki of Mabari Shipping, mm. yeah, of which uh, Shio Kisen is a subsidiary, said that the company would continue to be a regular and loyal customer of the Suez Canal Authority. Apparently, they thought it was a bargain. Well, what else are they going to do? Out of there. I don't know. All right, so know. we don't know the deal, so we have to guess. Over, under, $299 million. Uh, Over. I'm going under. Are you? I'm going under. It happened pretty quickly since they offered that. Well, the cost of the ceremony and the uh, the signing ceremony and the yeah. catering that was done, I think, puts it over. I think it was two forty nine, and then they got some Uber Eats with missing euros for the, the catering. <laughs> Thanks, Uber Eats. Thank you for nothing. Thanks for ruining my Fourth of July. Thank you. Uh, so, who got the one euro you got? Your wife or you? My wife. Okay, of course. There you um, go. I got the Greek salad. Still hungry Excellent. afterwards. Um, <laughs> thanks again. All right. Trucking M&A deals are getting bigger. Knight Swift has taken on LTL. Todd Maines talking about big M&A deals are starting to roll in for the publicly traded truckload carriers after months of management teams saying they would look to deploy their strengthening balance sheets on an, uh, accretive acquisitions. The fruit is finally starting to shake loose from that tree. Yes, it is. Less than a month after Warner Enterprise announced that it acquired a couple of regional carriers in a $142 million deal with ECM Transport, the nation's largest LTL carrier, Knight Swift Transportation, made a big splash Tuesday, acquiring less than truckload carrier AAA Cooper Transportation in a $1.35 billion deal. That's right. The deal represents a big divergence for Knight Swift, which generates nearly $5 billion in annual revenue from its trucking division, logistics, and intermodal segments. Sorry, all three of those, Ooh. of which truckload represents 80% of 80%. So the following transaction, following the transaction, Night Swift's core truckload, which was 80%, will only be 63% of the consolidated revenue. So big change. The acquisition of Dothan, Alabama-based AAA Cooper gives Night Swift an immediate footing in the more than $40 billion LTL market. AAA Cooper runs a regional network of 70 facilities and 3,400 doors spanning from uh, El Paso, Texas, to the southern east coast, along with multiple locations in the Midwest as well. So do Deutsche Bank analyst Amit Mahotra, he likes the deal, right? Mm-hmm. He sees opportunity for Knight Swift to cross-sell its three offerings as LTL carriers usually have sure. much larger customer books than TL carriers, so they want the book of business one. Um, he says, we also see benefits on driver recruitment and retention as KNX can now offer a career path for TL drivers moving to LTL, which requires more experience but gets drivers uh, home more regularly, yeah. more dedicated routes. In January, Canadian trucking logistics provider TFI International announced it was acquiring UPS freight. Now, uh, T-Force Freight, an $800 million transaction. What else happened? Downers Grove, Illinois-based Roadrunner, announced in March it closed a $50 million private placement mm-hmm. where proceeds to be used for uh, technology investments for its LTL offering. What's interesting about that one, though, Michael Vincent, is Knight Swift was in on that bidding. They yeah, wanted they to tried to do that. They, they tried did. to get it, and they dosed out. That's yeah. right. So, Amit Mahotra likes the deal. He's, he sees yeah. the synergy. But we also have a locker room back there at Freightways, and I've we heard do. some of the discussions going on. Sure. What are the dangers here that are going to make this deal, that could make this deal not work? 
Yeah, well, uh, one, you can't really cross the two operationally. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to do. I've seen others trying to do it in formal life. They try to do it, and it, and it is very, very difficult. Thing. Look, at, look at UPS. Yeah. UPS had a difficult time, and they're very, very smart in logistics, obviously. They've got some strong talent. Keeping them, keeping them separate is very good. But also crossing those uh, – I've been in a situation before where you have sales reps trying to cross the same. Yes. Right? And, and you've got a sales rep who is normally truckload trying to sell LTL and doesn't understand it. One, they can't sell it very well. They're completely different animals. Yeah. They'll and ignore two, it. What's that? You've been in freight sales. Oh, yeah. Your sales guys, if you don't train them, right, if you don't really ignore it, if your managers, you don't incentivize them, I'll show you the outcome, these synergies won't come together. So it's going to be on Night Swift to make sure that this deal consummates and that their people understand the value proposition that's here. In a boardroom, I bet it makes a lot of sense. Let's see how it happens in execution. Different story in execution. It's a big deal. We'll see how it shakes out. Um, Container Lines, speaking of making a lot of money, Container Lines are poised to hit $100 billion in profit. That's right. Greg Miller reports all these ex- all the experts, not me, all the experts that said ocean spot rates would pull back in the second half. Well, the second half has begun. Not only are spot rates not falling, they're still rising. They're setting new records. Much higher uh, half-two spot rates than expected combined with double-digit gains for contracted rates will equate to lighter profits on an unprecedented scale. We talked a lot about this to Patrick Berglund last oh, yeah. week when we had Absolutely. him on. Absolutely. On Monday, UK-based consultancy Drury predicted the container shipping lines will post aggregate earnings before interest and taxes, that's the EBIT, of $80 billion this year. And then if freight rates surpass expectations in the remainder of the year, they would not be surprised to see that annual profit line cross that $100 billion threshold. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it, it's and it goes on. The, that's a mirror opposite of the industry's uh, prior long-term performance, right? So yeah. McKinsey and Company estimated in a report published in February 2018 that carriers destroyed over $100 billion in shareholder value over the last 20 years, right? And Lars Jensen, uh, CEO of consultancy uh, Vespucci uh, Maritime Company, in essence, it can be argued that in a single year, the industry will have made up for 20 years of losses. And as you said, echoed by uh, Patrick Berglund, who we had, uh, CEO and founder of yeah. Zanetta, we had on last Friday. He was saying, you know, he was very, he didn't mince words, and he, no. you know, said what the carrier's fault was and what the shipper's fault. And he said 25 years of hammering down rates has led to an environment that carriers are more than happy to take advantage of at your expense. Yep. Carriers implemented another round of general rate increases. And I remember when I was doing freight sales, these things would come up all the time. And they oh, yeah. never stick. But now they are, and they're coming every two weeks with more on tap for July 15th. Gotta love it. S&P Global Platt's daily freight all-kind spot rate assessment for Asia East Coast jumped $1,000 per 40-foot unit on Thursday, uh, the day that GRIs hit to 8100 per FEU. That's a new record. Asia West Coast FAK assessments rose 800 per FEU. These averages are a little bit hard to look at, though. I mean, a little bit hard to quantify, as, as Patrick Berglund said. Yeah. It, does, it's not in, it doesn't impact all of global trade, but it, attack, it, it impacts a lot of what our type of listeners will be listening to, U.S. East Coast and West Coast from China, that Transpac loop. That's the uh, the big deal going there. Yeah. And speaking of Patrick Berglund, he said the CEO, the CEO of Zanetti, who's on our show on Wednesday and Friday, actually, I highly implore you to check both those if this interests you at all. Yeah. He said, if you look at what we're facing now, a holiday season, an early peak season, hurricane season, golden week, idle tonnage of just 1% versus 10% 12 months ago, I struggle to see how this is going to get better in the short term. Yeah, I have, to agree, I have to agree with him. I have to agree. And I agree with you. Check out those two shows because Patrick Berglund, he... Uh, Obviously knows his stuff. He really does. All right. You know who else knows her stuff? The shark attack. Grace Sharky. She's a reporter here at Freightways. She has been on Freightways TV a lot recently. I got to sign her to an exclusive deal. So these other shows keep, uh, stop stealing her from me. Grace, what's going on? 
Oh, I I'm doing well. You know, I love that you guys had Patrick on too for a couple of episodes because I got a chance to interview him as well. And uh, he's a really smart guy and, and how they, they, how he built that company was really interesting as well. So uh, I'm glad you guys are a big fan of him as, uh, oh, too. Yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, no. If he, if we had a house band guest, it it would be him. I mean, there's just yeah. nobody more yeah. knowledgeable about ocean freights and the rate economy. So those of you who missed it, look up what the truck fair podcast player. He was on both Wednesday and on Friday. Don't miss it all, Grace. You've been working on a lot of stuff, and Michael Vince and I we love to shine a light on what St. Christopher's uh, Trucker oh, Fund yeah. is doing. We have a video really quick that shows what TA and Truckers Fund are doing. So let's take a look at it. Hey everybody, John Perchik here, CEO of Travel Centers of America. I've been traveling around the country for the last several weeks, visiting our teammates and our guests, and I'm here to really talk to you about something very important. We're big supporters of St. Christopher's Truckers Relief Fund. We've been big supporters for 12 years, and we have an opportunity for everybody to contribute out there to the benefit of truckers in need. We have our Roundup campaign starting, and what that is is every time you come to one of our cashiers like this one here, you have an opportunity to allow that extra change to that next dollar. You can give that to the St. Christopher's Truckers Relief Fund, and we're asking you to please participate like we've been doing for these last 12 years. So please help us out, help those truckers out, and thank you for your loyalty to TA for all you do. Nice. So they've been doing this for 12 years. Is that right? Yes. Yep. They've been doing it for about 12 years now. And uh, I, I love campaigns like this because they are, as a consumer, as a driver in this situation, a stopping at a travel center, they're very simple to get involved with. You know, just being able to take that spare change and be able to give a little bit back over time. I think uh, there's, uh, people don't realize how much that adds up, right? There, it was a Shark Tank uh, idea as well, right? To be able to take that change uh, and, and build that up over time. So I think it's a simple way that people can give back and um, and especially for drivers to, to support each other. Uh, everyone loves St. Christopher's and they do a lot of really great things for drivers and, and not just in, in times of desperate need, but even in, in terms of their health and, and getting over um, addictions like, like cigarettes right something that that is uh might seem small but over time when you're a driver and you're just constantly uh, buying boxes at every travel center and it's it's a it's a great way for them to give back towards programs that are going to more than likely eventually help them as well Reese, what's crawling in that terrarium? i thought i just saw something walk by but i can't tell if it's a pigeon outside oh, your window or what what <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I live like at a, I live in a, 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 that's not really a high rise, but yeah, there's, a, we got some pigeons back there. So they're, they're my cat's best friends. They're probably all hanging out for the lunch hour right now. That's what's happening. <laughs> oh, so hey, listeners, <laughs> listeners out nice. there. So they, they, Grace actually asked me about this. A couple of listeners have. So what? if you read the Weather Truck Newsletter, we're giving away a ticket to F3. Yes. All you got to do is submit your dog to me, yes. send, email to me, tduner at freightwaves.com. Not your actual dog. T-D-O-O-N-E-R at freightwaves.com, or you can DM it to me on LinkedIn. Or, or Twitter, wherever you want to connect with me, Timothy Dooner, look it up. But we're giving away, today we're going to show the first litter of pup picks that we got. We got about 18 of them. We're yeah. going to have them at the end of the show. And if you, you send one in, that's all you got to do to be entered into the contest. But Grace said, what about me? I don't have a dog. So I told yeah. you, if you don't have a dog, you can either dress up like a dog, take a picture yourself. You got another animal, dress it up like a dog. You could submit that. Maybe we'll, yeah, we'll pass it off. Get a, fil show a little effort. get a filter on your phone. Yeah. yeah. 
You can get it's a like, dog filter yeah. on your phone, can't you? And take a picture of yourself. Yeah. I love those campaigns too, Grace, that are so easy to do. You know, the local uh, stores, uh, when they do things for like St. Jude's and stuff like that, it's so easy to say, yeah, yeah. keep the change. Absolutely. I mean, who's not going to yeah. do that, right? Keep the change. Go to TA and, and tell them to keep the change. What's in Christmas? Yeah. Your, your article that came out, um, it, it was the logbook. It was talking quite a bit about things that were giving back to yeah. the community. Another one was Load Smart giving back to the Chicago community. Tell us about it. And I think we have a picture as well. Yeah, so LoadSmart is a digital freight broker up in uh, Chicago, and this it was an opportunity that they had to give to the Lakeview Pantry, which is a food pantry in, in Chicago. And, uh, I'm a huge fan of food pantries uh, in college, honestly. I, I was able to use Michigan State's uh, food pantry. It's an easy way for people to come in and, and really almost have a shopping free shopping experience. And so it was really great to talk to LoadSmart and just hear about the different ways that they're giving back. And it's not just their community in Chicago um, because they do including Felipe have a, a lot of members that are from other countries as well so um, they're getting involved with multiple uh, groups including uh, Boys and Girls Club in order to to give back to their community which is you know, I think it's a really great way for recruiting and retaining employees as well, because, you know, you go through the, the ins and outs of a, of a freight brokerage world and it can get uh, difficult sometimes and the problem solving can can give you uh, an interesting outlook. Uh, but it's nice to be able to get with your team members and, and give back to your local community and remember really what what you guys are there to do as, as a whole organization. So um, it was really great to see that they're on top of, of making sure they're, they're giving back, not just in terms of funds, but really time. Time is what really helps these people out. I, I agree with you 100%. Those team building exercises are tremendous. And it's really nice to see these team building exercises taking it to taking this route, right? Yeah. Not just getting together and playing, uh, you know, paintball or something like that, right? Yeah. But getting behind yeah. a common mission that's better for the community. And it's interesting that this is really becoming, uh, it's part of the whole, you know, demand for a good corporate social responsibility narrative, right? I mean, consumers, et cetera, yeah. but it's also a key in retaining and, and recruiting employees. Like you said, at a, at a brokerage house, man, the pressure can be, can be huge, right? So, I mean, this is a growing mm -hmm. trend, right, Grace? A hundred percent. It it can be huge, and it's it's great to see the ways that people get involved with these type of campaigns. Whether it's you know um, getting into teams and seeing who can donate the most food or the most time outside of the office. But um, I've always been a, a huge fan of being able to have these like group settings, and especially right we're like finally able to hang out with each other and and have normal group events within our organization. So to be able to spin it and say, no, 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 let's not just go to a happy hour. Let's not just, you know, play putt-putt or ping-pong, whatever. Let's actually get together and help out the community. There's no better way to spend uh, an afternoon. So it's great to see that they're doing this spin on that time, time hey, back together. Grace, one thing you've been talking about a lot on Transmission or on Ad Alan Adler's been talking about a lot, we've talked about on this show a ton, is the chip shortage, and now it has derailed Park My Fleet Solar Car Race. This thing is wild looking, too. Let's take a look at the picture of this solar oh. car that got derailed. But tell us uh, the story here. What were they trying to accomplish? I First of all, I just want to say I've never been so disappointed because I actually started uh, sh showcasing this on last week's uh, logbook on Saturday. And so Park My Fleet has uh, partnered with 
um, Charge Across America to help uh, sponsor this this group of three college students, two Mich University of Michigan uh, students and one Michigan Tech. Um, and you know, as a state grad, I, I feel away, but it, it was a really great concept and a super interesting car, right? Like it's it's definitely not <laughs> uh, anything. Maybe Elon Musk would be interested in that one. But uh, what was really cool is to see these guys. They started off uh, two weekends ago up in New York, and they're looking to. Um, go right across America over to LA about 3000 or so miles. Um, and they got 760 miles in and ended up having uh, a malfunction. And of course it's the one thing that even, um, OEMs can't get their hands on. It's a, a computer chip. So unfortunately they, they paused it for now and they're going to go back and it sounds like they're definitely going to try again. I think there's another race with multiple, um, different cars and different groups, uh, in all, August that I, I'm assuming they're going to try again at. Um, but, you know, I was really, really hoping to, to do multiple updates and, and end it with congrats. They made it to LA, but unfortunately last Friday, uh, they came to an end. So, uh, but it was really cool to see a, a company like Park My Fleet, who does help with um, car fleets, but also has been offering up a um, uh, trucking uh, parking spots as well, uh, which is a huge issue in and of, of itself. So I love seeing how different organizations can get interesting and, and creative with their marketing campaigns and who they're sponsoring and what type of initiatives, because uh, this is such a cool one. And um, yeah, it was unfortunate. I was really pumped. I was following them on Instagram and I was sad to see that it came to an end about a week through, but um, so there's great university, smart guys. I'm sure they'll get back on the road and, and get themselves moving here shortly. Now, Grace, tell us, uh, how fast do those cars go? Do you have any of the specs on them? You know, I didn't have the specs on them. I, it, the one thing I will say is in the few pictures and videos I've seen, they were kind of staying into the the side, the sideline. So I assume it's not going to go too fast. Um, and they did have a couple of breakdowns prior to this one. So I think they're kind of taking their, their slow and steady. But yeah, I, they're, they're going about 100 or so miles a day. So it wasn't anything too crazy. Especially right, cool a car that had multiple people. Grace, excellent stuff. Center to the wheel. Center to the wheel. Center to the yeah. wheel. Spin the wheel. Make the deal. What there. is it? What do we got? Here we go. All right, Grace, are you ready? Yes. What is your worst experience with bad neighbors? Oh, those pigeons. <laughs> you know, I actually we're we're good friends. I keep my cat entertained. I'm trying to trying to work. So, uh, unfortunately, not them today. Uh, uh, you know, I've been very lucky in my adult life. I've, I've normally lived in houses and I've had pretty great neighbors. I will say <laughs> growing up, I, I didn't, I, my childhood home wasn't in the best neighborhood and I lived next to Everett High School, uh, home of uh, Magic Johnson. And I'm going to give that whole school the worst neighbors. Um, <laughs> they have, yeah, they actually had um, uh, like out of school lunch. You could go to fast food and, um, and stuff like that. And they would take all of their trash and they would stuff it in our bushes, um, which was a chore that I had to personally take care of at the end of the day. And then my, it got to a point where my father ended up going to the school and making like a announcement over the loudspeakers that if he if he continued to see it he was going to come down there and handle it himself which my dad's a 
cuddly bear. I don't know what he was going to do, but, um, and that didn't help it. It still was pretty yeah, bad. So I, say, I would say that didn't make things better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, I would say it's fun to live next to a school for the playgrounds, but not for the trash. That's for there sure. <laughs> well, thank you. Grace. Check out her articles on freightwaves.com and her show transmission and her article, the logbook on uh, Fridays as well. So take care, Grace. Thanks for joining us. Now, we're going to be joined by Edmund Zagorin. He's the founder and CEO of BitOps, or if you heard the theme on the Not Boring podcast, and I'm not sure if that's their official theme, it's like, BitOps. Edmund, tell us about that. I love that theme. Was that song written for your company, or was that song written for the Not Boring podcast? Um, So the the jingle was actually um, written by a friend of a friend who, you know, likes making music and... uh, we said, well, you know, procurement and purchasing and uh, big companies, it's not always considered to, to be the most, you know, musically oriented of the corporate functions. And so, you know, we thought it might be fun just to uh, to make a jingle about, you know, following a good process to save some money. Oh, sweet. We were trying to play it on the show, but uh, we, we couldn't get it sent to us in time. But uh, it's really cool if you guys want to check it out. It's, a, it's an interesting track. But give us the elevator pitch on BitOps. What do you guys do? So BitOps is a platform that helps you communicate with your supply chain in a systematic and intelligent way. Uh, We're known for collecting and comparing quotes using forecasting. So we have a transaction simulator driven by artificial intelligence and machine learning that can help you know if you're getting a good price by forecasting the outcome of a request for quote before it begins. Wow. That's really, really interesting. So what made you uh, uh, get into this? Why did you found this company? And don't say because you wanted a great jingle, but it is a great jingle. But I appreciate that. No, I was I was working in procurement and uh, had used a lot of the tools that were out there, had used a lot of spreadsheet templates. And uh, Microsoft Excel is a very common tool of the trade in procurement and purchasing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I really just... I realized that what this reliance had created was human eyeballs and hands that were being used to validate data, in some cases, very critical data. And it's just not a good use of money and time to have human eyeballs and hands validating critical data, especially, you know, how much stuff costs, because your company's going to end up paying if that, you know, validation point is, is incorrect. And so that's really where, where we got into it. I'm passionate about negotiation. Um, that's kind of the other thing. I, I really enjoy talking to people about how they negotiate, how they think about negotiations. And so, um, you know, that's really what, what gets me excited about it. Now, it says your system uses AI. I mean, w- w- can you define that a little bit better? It's kind of a, it's kind of a buzzword. I mean, yeah. it's not Skynet, right? It's not self-aware. So what kind of AI is it? You know, I, I think there's been a, a quote floating around recently that I, I would agree with, which is that most artificial intelligence today is neither artificial nor intelligent. It's made by humans and it's patternistic or systematic in such a way that it can't be considered self-aware. Really what we mean by AI is automated statistics. And our, you know, what differentiates kind of traditional data science from uh, modern machine learning models is that they have a target variable and the system tries to hit that target variable over and over again. So you can think of like a basketball player shooting baskets uh, as a good analogy. And the basketball player misses and they get a little closer, they get a little further away, or they put a little more oomph behind the ball. That's what the machine learning model is doing. It's back propagating information from its loss rate 
and making minor adjustments that help it hit the target variable more consistently. That's interesting. So how do you use that to actually forecast the outcome of negotiations? So we use an approach called active learning, which is where we actually generate a forecast for every line item in a bid. So if you think about logistics, you know, you would think of lane. So zip code to zip code would be a line item in a bid. And then we estimate um, and forecast the cost for to carry a, a load from that one location to the other. And then we, um, you know, see what the supplier actually quotes. And based on the difference between what the supplier actually quotes and our forecast, we, we backpropagate the difference between that into the model. And we can see, for example, that there are patternistic uh, differences in attributes of the transactions that correspond with our ability to forecast. So for example, if people are buying a ton of different lanes at once, that will change um, the success of the model versus if they're buying something that might be very uh, simple or, or easy. Do you think this would have worked well to negotiate the release of the Ever Given, which just came out today, just to be topical to our news thing? You have the Suez Canal Authority who wanted uh, $916 million, and then you have the ship owners who wanted to pay $150 million. They settled. Terms aren't disclosed. But do you think a platform like this could get into negotiations like that? You know, I'm going to be uh, completely honest, and, and probably I should say it the other way, but negotiations like that are always going to be dealt with by humans because they're about emotion and culture and, you know, getting on the same page and, you know, how can we all hold hands and, and you know, come to find each other, make each other both whole out of a situation like that. Um, where AI can be really helpful is negotiations that are really complex. A lot of, a lot of them are really boring. They could be low value and that's where we see automation playing an increased role, not primarily with the big, flashy negotiations like the Ever Given. Interesting, interesting. You know, you get into these negotiations and sales, and you get into these situations where he who talks next loses, right? <laughs> At times. How does the length of a negotiation favor either the buyer or the seller? And how does your system accommodate for that? It's a great question. Uh, and I would say that in general, um, Sales wants to get stuff done faster in order to move on to other opportunities. And the faster you can get stuff done, the more productive you can be as a seller. Mm -hmm. Now, with procurement, there's long been the mentality that the more friction you add to the process and the longer that you, you know, drag it out, the greater concessions that you can exact. And I think that um, to an extent, that is a dynamic that you see, especially in uh, large corporate negotiations. Um, however, recently the dynamic has changed. So you've seen now a cascade of shortages, particularly we've been seeing, hearing about the microchip shortage, the shortage of trucks on the road, the shortage of uh, lumber in the home building industry, shortage of steel as well. Now, when in a short market, the speed of buying actually matters tremendously to be able to uh, have any control over the price whatsoever, because when people begin to actually run out of materials, then all of a sudden the leverage around the uh, price, price discussion dramatically shifts back to the supplier. And so the question really becomes from a data perspective, are you in a short market and is the market becoming shorter or becoming longer over time? And that's really what I would say procurement and purchasing teams need to be asking when they're trying to figure out how long the negotiation should take. Because if you're in a market that's getting shorter and you try and drag it out, you're going to miss out on scarce supply. And you know, there might be consequences to that, like having to shut down production. 
All great points, Edmund. So how do people learn more about BitOps? <laughs> so you can go to bitops.com. We've got a, a whole website for you. Um, we also have some white papers, some webinars, some case studies. Um, and I would say that if you work in a particular industry and you, you know, deal with uh, logistics procurement, you deal with trucking a lot, we have some interesting uh, uh, case studies specifically on that topic as well. Thanks, Edmund. Take care. Thank you for your time today. Okay, again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and is West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at Tone, dude. NewLegendInc.com immediately after the show. Go there. I'll tell you something I used to not like. Right when I What's used that? to like when I was selling freight, I hated okay. having to wait for our pricing department. Like twelve, twelve, quote you in twenty four hours. That's our SLA with you sales guys. Oh, I hate your SLA. <laughs> I hate it. That's gonna make me want to resign. That made you want to resign for sales. You know what it is right now? It's the Great Resignation. That's what they're calling it. And you might see it on LinkedIn. You might see everybody leaving their jobs, going to find something new. Everybody's hiring. Even McDonald's going to give you an iPhone and a 401k. Although I saw a Denny's truck that was offering to hire, and its benefits, one of its benefits was sanitized environment. (laughs) A sanitized environment at a Denny's. And even better news, when you get hired, you'll be the one doing the sanitizing. They don't give you like a free moon over over my (laughs) hammies or whatever it is. They do not. (laughs) Eggs over my hammies or whatever. Hey, joining us now is KJ McMaster's founder. The barbecue guy? (laughs) Could be. But for today, he's acting as the founder and president of talent solvers are going to talk about this great resignation what's going on with the talent scene especially specifically in transportation kj thanks for joining us thanks for having me i'm excited to be on i feel like i got that rick flair drip i'm on with Dooner and the dude <laughs> so, are you in a, are you in ryan schreiber's closet now or preter wrenchlers where did you guys start out at carrier direct in there in there in a board i actually did i i formed the business and uh, i left uh, tampa i was working for a third-party logistics company out there called blue grace after having left uh, Global Trans to go over there. And I was looking for an office, and they had a conference room. So I rented their conference room when they did their back-end office in Scottsdale. So some of the leadership over there was kind enough to let me do that. Well, so tell us about that. You're working at Blue Grace, and you're like, you know what? I think I could find talent better than our HR department, or maybe you didn't think that. I don't know. What made you decide to start, and what made you decide to found the company? Yeah, you know, I think everyone kind of falls into recruiting. I didn't really think it's a career path. You know, I look at it, college athletics. I look at it, kind of the Army, but I just kind of fell into it at Global Trans, having built their Asian program from scratch. And then I uh, went out to Blue Grace Logistics. We had our second daughter along the way, so looking to get back to the Western 11. And I thought, you know, what am I good at? I'm good at getting someone to quit their job and do something different, whether it's an Asian program franchise or becoming a new FTE at a growing brokerage. So I said, let's, you know, put my shingle up on the wall and uh, start a recruitment agency. Wow. Give us the elevator pitch. What does uh, Talent Solvers do? Oh, hey, thanks for asking. Yeah. You know, I think what we specialize is freight tech. I think we've evolved from having worked with a lot of third-party brokers and a lot of asset companies like Werner. And now we're kind of embedded in some of these organizations that get funding from ABC or Schematic Ventures or Iron Spring Ventures. And so these companies get seed funding or A funding and they're like, okay, you know, how do we tackle talent acquisition from a strategic perspective? You know, how do we build 18 months at a time when our next funding is going to come? And so we parachute in, uh, help them with some processes with job descriptions, and then, um, you know, help them, you know, build out uh, their, their teams. So uh, a lot of free tech stuff. So we do everything from technical recruiting through product, uh, anything engineering um, and, uh, you know, sales, marketing and finance. You know, the term, the great resignation, it was coined by Anthony Klotz. He's a Texas A&M University 
professor. Tell us a little bit about that. What is this market like right now? And have you seen anything like it? I just anecdotally, I just noticed a ton of people have been switching jobs lately, especially in, in transportation. I fall on LinkedIn. It's yeah. every day someone's moving somewhere else. Yeah, you get these congratulations. Congratulate this guy every day on LinkedIn, every it day. seems like. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. I'm actually at uh, Project 44 today. I'm working out of their office today with all their funding and all the growth. They're going to have 900 hires over the next 18 months. So hey, I just say, hold on, say hi to us. Right uh, say hi to Jet and Vernon to us while you're over there. Yeah. You got it. Uh, Vernon's not here today. Neither is Jet, but they were here last week when I was here. So I'll do just that. So uh, great guys. Yeah, I, th I think talent acquisition right now, uh, talent overall is the biggest risk to every organization uh, between the great resignation and uh, everyone fighting to get talent, specifically on the engineering side of things, or getting you know great sales reps, I find it to be the biggest risk to every organization through this year and going into next. So, I think that you know when when COVID nineteen hit, uh, people that uh, lost their jobs, um, you know, kept trying to find jobs. We'll say, and, and some didn't. And then everyone that did, they kept their job long enough. Now they feel like they've gotten over the hump, and now they can look. So when we talk to candidates now, you know, our job is to build curiosity in the candidates to get them on the phone. You know, they're talking to five, six other recruiters. There's a lot of opportunities. So I think uh, I think organizations that need to have a tight process and, and make a decision on the candidates quicker rather than later. Yeah, you know, uh, we had a discussion earlier about freelancers, right? Oh, yeah. Where there's a, the freelancers are projected to make up over 50% of the workers by 2027, right? Yeah. And I called BS on this with Duner, as I normally do. But he proved me wrong. There's 30, almost 37% right now are freelancers, right? So <laughs> there's another you... freight wave show that doesn't exist, which would just be putting a camera in, yeah. the, in the green room just back there for the some discussions. of the arguments that the staff has here. That would be a great show. <laughs> it wouldn't be a good show. You're full of it. No, anyway. But so with the, with this stuff going on, how are you filling these these roles, right? How, how do you fill these roles and fight this freelancer, or do you just embrace it? Well, I mean, we, we got to embrace it, and, and you got to fight every day. I mean, the reality of posting and, and getting good talent, like posting and praying, almost like uh, you know, at a brokerage trying to post a load. I think you know those days are over, and I think that uh, you have to have a good brand presence. And you need to get recruiters that are sales executives. I mean, really, I mean, you have to hunt to find these people. You have to be a, a great writer to, like I mentioned earlier, to evoke curiosity in the candidate. And I'm seeing, you talked about freelancers. There's also organizations like, you know, Lean Tech and Lean Staffing are doing a great job down in Columbia. There's a lot of outsourcing going on in the Baltic region and Ukraine. And I think organizations are just having to be open. If you're based in San Francisco, you're based in Chicago, and you find great talent in Atlanta, you got to find a way to onboard them. You know, KJ, I, I get it. I mean, I get why the great resignation is happening. You had, think of the psychology of America. You had people who were locked down for a year now because a lot of companies started working remote. There's all these great opportunities. Not to mention that in March, a ton of companies fired people. A ton of companies cut staff. Now, all these companies are struggling to fill staff. Yeah. So my one caution to people out there in the great resignation, when you see a lot of these great job offers out there, yeah. just remember, some of those job offers only exist because when things got tough, those companies dumped staff. They threw water out of the boat. Now, you Room might be jumping Greece. that boat. Yep. So just, just be aware of that. Now, that, that being said, I, I have noticed more opportunities than ever in this market. It's got to be very attractive people, especially if you're in freight places. And a lot of freight brokerage can be kind of toxic. I worked in one where, like, any day would come in, if you had a, even the most minor complaint, you should feel lucky that you work here. You know, so a lot of things are coming home to roost. Um, Monster.com, obviously biased source, they said 95% of workers, biased because of who would go to that site, but 95% yeah, right. of workers who responded to their survey are thinking about changing jobs. What are you seeing? I'm seeing exactly that. 
I'm seeing exactly that. I think that people are taking the calls and they're trying to leverage where, you know, where, where can I work? Do I want to work in Boise, Idaho and keep the same compensation structure that I've had in my existing organization? Is it my time to jump from a brokerage into a leadership position at another brokerage? Is it my chance to jump into maybe a VC backed freight tech organization and get in kind of the tech stream? So I think that people are looking at opportunities more holistically than they were before instead of just like incremental raises. It's like, you know, how can this keep changing my career? How can this change kind of my work life balance from being able to work at home and, uh, some of the organizations that are either forcing people back or some of the companies that furloughed a lot, I think those are the ones that are kind of struggling with some of the great resignation you're talking about. So we were talking earlier uh, about some organizations that have some excellent uh, uh, team building in the form of uh, attacking an altruistic need somewhere in the, in, in the, in the community, right? Supporting yeah. St. Christopher's Fund or supporting the food bank, whatever it is. A corporate social responsibility narrative is becoming more and more important. Are you noticing that? And is that something that an employer trying to get ahead in this market and trying to employ, attract, and keep new talent really needs to consider is having a strong uh, corporate uh, social responsibility narrative? Yeah, I think that was some great commentary from Grace. I, I think that uh, you have to take culture to the next level. That someone talked about ping pong balls or having you know beer on Fridays. I think taking it to the next level and building a community and a culture and, and to do that and actually um, not just within your office, but actually in the Chicago community with LoadSmart, you mentioned on that. And uh, anywhere, I, I think it's a proliferation of, of what's happening out there. And I, I think it's needed. So why is it that, you know, companies, we, we've all worked in companies, you mentioned those incremental raises where they're like, work for a year and then you will get a raise that's less than the rate of inflation, right? Be happy. Here's your 1% yeah. because you you got 80% on a performance review. And if you're really lucky, we'll give you 2%. Like, obviously, the obviously younger workers do not care for that business model and they no. are moving in mass. But why aren't more companies at the back door of the company? They're out here recruiting. They're out here throwing bonuses out. They're out here trying to court everybody. But what about the key employees within the company that are going out the back door. You know, why isn't, do you think companies are putting enough pressure on those employees, tapping them on the shoulder and saying, look, you are a key valued player. I know that there's these great opportunities in the market, but we can make your opportunity here even better because we want you in the long haul. Is that happening enough? It's not happening enough. You're talking about retention. I think yeah. not only retention, but acquisition. So I'm definitely on the acquisition side of things, but just because they come in the front door doesn't mean they're going to follow it to back. And right now, if you're behind on your hiring needs, you're, high, you're behind on your talent position needs, and you're losing people on the back end, if, you're, if your attrition rate is creeping up 15, 20, 25%, you're never going to get out of that cycle. So I think they do need to tap them on the shoulder. I do think they need to be understood that they're a valued part of the organization, and they need to see a career path and where they're headed and how they fit in the organization. And, and also, you know, these younger workers, they're really looking for to learn on the job, looking for more skill sets. And you have to somehow have that, that talent development within an organization instead of just train them for a week and then go get them tiger. I think you have to have continual development. Yeah, there's companies that that uh, try and not promote from within, yeah. right? I, I, and I've heard this about companies like Amazon, right? Like where they they want you to leave and they they hire on top of you and on top of you. And you're and you're right, Dooner. You you even see now cell phone companies saying everybody gets the deals, new and existing customers. When it was only the new, like the new employee only yeah. gets the deals, right there or there. How does the and what should the job seekers be looking for? Not only in the in the in the in the job they're looking for, but if they're going to uh, employ somebody like yourself to find them those jobs, should they be looking at at who they're getting as a recruiter to recruit them a job? Yeah, I mean we're not all created equal, that's for sure. I think I even struggled back in 2017 uh, trying to recruit you, Michael. So you might have to look through some old messages there. But um, <laughs> uh, you beat me up for missing a call, and, and deservedly so. I mean that type of thing just can't happen now. So when you start looking at, uh, you know, who you're working with and also the experience, 
you know, if, uh, if, if it feels rushed, if it feels like you don't have a chance to really dive in with the hiring manager, if, if it feels like, um, you know, it's not a tight price or they're putting up all these unnecessary filters through the process, what happened, you know, uh, potential candidates are putting themselves out of those processes. So I think you need, you need to have filters. You need to get A players within your organization. But if you put up too many things, it's, it's got some red flags and they just don't have to try that hard. There's too many opportunities out there. Yeah, I mean, especially the way the market's put up. I mean, it's like, it's like a draft right now. I mean, with so yeah. many job openings, you can go to, <laughs> yeah. you can go to any, you can, and you, you mentioned something really interesting there. And it's like, I remember the opportunities in freight when I started out in 2005, it was like, you know, you could be a broker, maybe you could sure. be a CDL, you could be a driver and stuff, but now you can get into freight tech, you can get into data engineering, you can get into the media side over on Freightways. Products we have, is huge. We have 30 plus jobs here. And a lot of our workers are people who worked within freight companies. Grace Shark, we spoke to earlier. She's an operations, yeah. uh, she's an operations manager at where, where she was before yeah. us. She came but here. You and I were ops guys. Of course we were. Back and now those opportunities exist because we, we built all these new platforms. But at the same time, they're available to everybody. Right. So what do you, how do you what is your advice to employers now to attract and keep employees? Is it just remote work? Because that if you look at postings for remote no. jobs, 457 percent increase, according to LinkedIn. You know, I think it's got to be the mission of the organization. It's got to resonate with the candidate. So, I mean, for me, that's one of the biggest things. Like, wh where are we going? Where are we headed? Why did I join this organization? Why did I join Blue Grace? Why did I join Global Trans? Why did I start my own company? There's got to be a mission involved and uh, it's got to come top down. I think it's got to come all the way through the organization. So, you know, advice to give some of the candidates is, you know, is that interesting work for me? Do I, do I see growth of that organization? And do I feel like through the process, uh, it was very humanized. You know, I just wasn't flatly sent some type of, you know, behavioral traits assessment blindly. So I, th I think it's got the process got to feel tight all the way through. And I think that uh, organizations need to show how valuable you know, the candidates are going to be in the organization long-term. Yeah. So, I mean, we talk, we, we talk about remote work, right? Yeah. And, and a lot of people love remote work. It, it sounds great. It sounds glorious. It's, it's very sexy type of thing to many people. I'm not a great remote worker. Really? No. I love it. I like coming here to the studio, but I like doing all my production in isolation at home. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I would, I would agree with that as well, but I like coming in here. If I didn't get to come in here every single day, I think, I don't think I would like it that much. Is it really that important to, to workers? We've had the great work from home experiment. Is it going to stick that way or do, are you finding candidates want that coming into work and that team feel? I think you got to give them options. I think there's a blend, you know, me personally, I would love to come in the office every single day, but you know, with what happened last year in my business, I actually bought myself out of my office in river North up here in Chicago and I didn't renew my office. So my entire organization is remote. You know, we do as much as we can on Google Hangouts. We get together when we can. So that's my business. But I think that uh, there's some companies where maybe they need to come in for a while. They need to get some training. They need to feel the culture and then give them empower them. Maybe it's two or three days a week. So, and I think there's some, maybe there's some engineers or product folks where they can do everything remote. So I, I think it depends on the role. I think it depends on the company. I, I think it depends on the seniority of, of, of the, uh, the employee. I think there's gotta be a blend and it's not going away. KJ, you have any, uh, you have any horror stories from the uh, recruiting market? Oh gosh. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's times where they, you know, some companies just think they're smarter than they are. And at the end of the day, what they'll do with, with them, you know, I'm not sure you really want to join the organization. I had this one happen recently. Like, I don't, I'm not sure you really want to enjoy, you know, uh, join our organization. It was like the top candidate they could get. It was such a turnoff. And I was like, you just lost the best candidate you could get that we worked on for six months. So you know, there's some other things in there, but um, that's the most recent one where I, I was just kind of crestfallen that uh, the candidate lost the job and lost the interest in the job. And, uh, you know, the, the client lost out on the best talent they could get for that. It was a real tough role. So 
Oh wait, they pulled like a, what is that sales term? It's like a reverse neg where you you try to you try to sell someone on something by making them feel unqualified for it, and they must take this opportunity now. Oh yeah, they yeah. gotta do it now. Wow, that'll yeah. never coming around. You talk back like you know you should feel lucky to work at the brokerage. You know that attitude nowadays it doesn't work. So. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And I, look, I mean, people always say millennials, but a lot of times they're actually talking about about Zoomers. But oh, like yeah, that yeah. attitude just does not get you that far. I mean, you you have to value people. A lot of the conversations and sensitivities are are completely different. And especially the, in fast paced yeah, environments, the, you can offend people very quickly without intending that you're doing it. But in a great market, they can go. You know what? It's very easy for me because most states have made it this easy. They we're in right to work states, and yeah. a lot of times employers had the advantage where you know you live in fear that it may be your last day walking through that door well it's that the tables have turned a little bit and now it's like you got to live in fear that employee is going to walk out the door or 41 percent of the workforce microsoft's study says the great resignation is here this was in fast company a study by microsoft found that 41 percent of the global workforce would consider leaving their current employer within the next year how many companies can afford to lose 41 percent of their current no, that's workforce? mind-boggling that is mind-boggling. I mean, other than trucking, where it's 100% turnover. Well, yeah. <laughs> <We're driving. laughs> yeah. yeah, the other half lives over here in trucking. <laughs> yeah. um, you know what? We have a couple things we're going to do here with you. First of all, oh. we will, because this will lead into the next thing. So first, let's spin the wheel. Then we'll take a look at, at yes. his furry friend. So spin Perfect. the wheel. Perfect. Uh-oh. Spin the what wheel. Am I make the for? What are oh, you in it's for? It's the wheel of stupid, my friend. All right. What do you got? Round and round it goes. <laughs> all right. Where is it, it going to go? Okay. It's that. Okay. Right, these it. guys always need employees. I got it. All right. So here it is. Elon Musk decides to start an all-out war with Jeff Bezos. They are able to use all and every resource available to them. Who wins and why? Ooh, Tesla versus Amazon. Oh, I think it's a layup. Elon Musk is going to win. Oh, I think oh. he's going to bore underneath and suck him down, and Bezos won't even know. Oh, he's like a boring company type hole. Oh. He's just going to bore him, him down. He's not going to come. He's going to come right underneath his mansion, suck him down. He's going to disappear. No one's going to know. So his alter Elon, ego is the uh, mole. <laughs> You're all wrong. You're all, how are they going to communicate? Ah! Churn off Amazon Web Services. The entire internet is screwed, right? <laughs> so Bezos can cut out communication. He can set up his own private network so only his armies can communicate. No. But you know, one thing I will say Mace is Musk wins. it will not be that easy anyway, because if you've ever been on like Twitter, right? And if you make, if you, you can insult Amazon all day long, people will cheer you on or they'll ignore it. But if you start making fun of Tesla, right? Ooh, and it gets job. retweeted by the wrong person. It gets into like Tesla Twitter. You're going to have like hordes of angry Tesla people coming for you. And I bet those people leave their house once in a while. And I bet that, you know, if this war was going on, they might suit up. They might put that T on. Yeah, that's what, that's, that's why I like Twitter more than LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with him. Elon Musk wins. The grassroots army is going to come forward and take him out. Well, KJ, since you are our first guest with the dog, we're going to get in our dog days of summer in a minute here. But before we get to that that segment, we'll show off yours first. We'll let you go first. Who are we looking at right here? That's Snowflake. Wow. She's a Siberian husky. She lives up in the woods in Evergreen, and those are all of the bones and antlers she's found on our property. <laughs> How did she find a spine on your property? Dog right there. <laughs> well, I live on some acreage above uh, above Red Rocks Concert Venue in Evergreen, so we got her two years ago, and she just scours. I mean, she kills everything on the property. You know, huskies oh. are kind of known for talking more than barking, so when she barks, she knows it's something big like a bear or a, a mountain lion. But um, she scoured the entire property, found all those bugs. There's a vertebrae right there. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm yeah. saying. I see a spine. <laughs> like Mortal Kombat going on. Finish him. Well, yeah, she's Snowflake. A she's a sweetheart, but she's a savage. Hey, look, Snowflake <laughs> might win you a ticket to F3. It is a uh, three-day event, November 8th to 10th. So you might need a dog sitter for that one, but we do hope that you win it. And even if you don't, we hope we see you in Chattanooga, November 8th to 10th. Absolutely. At the oh, there's four of us coming, maybe one more. 
Talent Fabulous. Solvers, how do people uh, how do people find your company? Well, they can go to talentsolvers.com or they can just reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, KJ McMasters. Thank you so much, KJ. Sweet. All right. Take care, sir. Thanks, Dog KJ. Dave's afraid is here. Play the bumper. <laughs> that snowflake. Snowflake. Summer jams. Taking out a dinosaur. <laughs> it's officially the dog days of summer, folks. And in honor of that, we'll be showcasing the dogs of the people that made great habits. Want to see your best friend on an episode of What the Truck? Simply send me that doggy, right? You have until Tuesday, 713. <laughs> 2 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> what was going on? <laughs> it's a I'm like a balloon losing air. Like, you have until Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern time on, on July 13th. We're gonna go through these. We'll uh do it's not like a beauty pa- a dog beauty pageant. We'll just draw a winner out of people who submitted dogs. So again, yeah. email T Dooner, D at freightwaves.com or find me on the Twitter, which is at Timothy Dooner or on LinkedIn. Just look up Timothy Dooner. Now let's get to some dogs here, man. This is a lot of trucking Twitter who submitted these. So these are a lot of road dogs here, official road right dogs. Up. Sprint 65 says, that's his boy Kramer. He doesn't move freight, but the dog goes everywhere with him every day. He works within the logistics industry. He has an anchored crate. He rides and he has a piece of advice. He said he rear-ended, he was rear-ended the other day, right? $25,000 worth of damage was done, but the dog was okay because he was put in the the kennel right there. Um, Says he's not preaching, just wants you to know. Protect your dog out there. Keep the dog straight. Mr. Cheeseburger. Who's he got? We got his up there. We got uh, this is Mr. Cheeseburger. There, there is that. There yeah, is. that is. That this is, is Karma, six-year-old rescue. She's been trucking with me for over four years. Been pretty much everywhere. Loves rolling around in the new grass. Loves to stick her tongue out for pictures. That's a beautiful German Shepherd that we're Absolutely. looking at. Uh, Trucker Beal Bailey, he's been a guest on the show. He sends me videos from time to time. That's his dog, Shasta. She's been all over the U.S., and she, if you can see, she's right in the back of a cab, a cab right there. And I believe that's an Australian cattle dog, if I'm not mistaken. Ooh. An Australian cattle dog from the trucker. Miles J. Vargas, he shares with us Grace Olivia, which he says is named after Benson. I'm, I don't know what that, that Benson and Hedges, what does that reference? Uh, well, Grace Olivia, uh, well, Grace Olivia Benson was a uh, captain on uh, Law and Order. Oh. That's all I could find. Right. I I, maybe Deep references into network I, I don't procedurals. Know. I don't I know that, that one. Uh, well, <laughs> it's a good old-fashioned uh, Miami Pitbull. Was uh, rescued when it was nine years young, so keeps him busy when he's working there. He works in the freight tech scene. <laughs> yeah. Joey Cap with Tegan. Tegan, he says, it's like a weirdo. He's insulting Tegan. I agree. That is a weird way to sit. Although, have you ever tried it? It might be comfortable. My dog does that sometimes, too. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. There you this, go. What kind of dog does that look like to you? It looks like maybe a little bit of a Doberman mix with something else. It does. It does look like a Doberman mix. I have a Doberman mix. We'll get to her at the end. Uh, who does Mike Bush have? Mike Bush. This is Belly. She's listening to the podcast, What the Truck. Yeah. No, she's <laughs> bored. It says here she's oh, bored because she's, she's listening to a podcast other than What yeah, the Truck. Other than What the Truck. So, okay, that's why she's bored. Otherwise, she'd be jumping around excited as hell. Of course. Right? He, he does say she barks when we're on the air. Oh, that, all right. Just there wait till go. she hears that bumper. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Diamond shares with us Harley, and she sleeps like that daily. She just likes to sprawl. She likes to lay out. She gets relaxed right there. Beautiful, beautiful dog. What breed would you call that? That's that's uh, know, man. Looks a little bit like a Frisbee dog. A Frisbee dog? Is Maybe. that an actual dog? I don't Frisbee know. Dog. Well, what about Sarah? She's got Sarah's, Buckley. Yeah. Buckley, she says, is the best girl. And look at that scarf. It comes to her from Furberry. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful scarf. Matches her eyes perfectly. It does. What a beauty. Canada on strike, right? Yeah. This is Maddie. Oh. Look at Maddie. Anatolian Shepherd and Great Pyrenees Mix. 
huge dog. Great yeah. Pyrenees. So Man. we had, when I was a kid, we, we adopted a, we got a great Pyrenees as a puppy. And yeah. we had it for about nine months. And it got, yeah. they get gigantic. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're yeah. talking like 200 pound dog. Oh, yeah. It would do the dishes. It would get up on the sink. It would steal loaves of bread. It yeah. would steal, uh, actually, Massive. one day we walked over, it was eating our beef stew. <laughs> it, was, it was eating up the beef stew, and my mother still uh, served it to my dad when he got home. Um, she also did it with the golden retriever too. But yeah, huge, huge dogs. Unfortunately, we couldn't take care of it. We found a good home for that dog. It was it was sad to give it away, but I mean, just be cautious. It was huge. It would eat like they entire plants, uh, trees. It was just massive dogs. Super nice though. Yeah, they certainly. Shay is showing us another big dog here. Well, another three big dogs. This is Scott. Ted and Sid, and I asked who the leader of that pack is, and they said, well, obviously, it's uh, Ted. He's the big one. He's the big one. <laughs> I would think the little one is there. Yeah. It's a lot of times, the little ones are. They take charge, don't they? Yeah, they absolutely do. They absolutely do. We got he looks another... a bit like a mastiff, this dog. That's a big one. That is a big one, right? We've got another trio here. Do we not? We're a mama bear. This is uh, Pepper, Eddie, and Lulu. Oh, look at that crew. A couple yeah. chihuahuas. A couple chihuahuas. Another they little dog with them. problems right there. <laughs> now, Nathan Lewis, he's been on the show. He's played it four with us. He drives all the way across America as well. And he brings Bob with him, trucking with Bob. And look, he's at the Continental Divide with Bob. Oh, yeah. I caught Bob in uh, Montana just a couple of days ago, I think. Now, his note on Bob is that Bob does not like grass. He will take a sidewalk a half mile around a lawn just to avoid stepping on grass. It doesn't like its, <laughs> it, it doesn't like its paws and its pillows messed up. Now, this next one here, right? So people have asked me about this. They said, hey, I don't have a oh, dog. That's Earl. It's not fair. Well, Earl submitted himself. So uh, other animals um, may be fair game. Put a little effort into uh, to do your dog. But Earl had a good fact. He said, I could kick him in the head at any moment, but I choose not to. He's talking about his owner there. We had Earl on before, right? Of course we did. Speedy Gonzalez, right? Yeah. Harley. Love chew, loves to chew on shoes on shoes, right? Is that him? That's this. Yeah, that is Harley. There's Harley right there. He, he, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure what kind of dog Harley is. It looks like it has elements of a German Shepherd, but I'm not entirely certain. I don't know, but loves the Starbucks, right? What about the Doge Trucker? Doge Trucker, you know, not doing as well as when it was at seventy cents, but yeah, still around twenty five cents. And if he bought in early, uh, you could afford some doggles for him, like he's wearing right there. That dog's name is Newman, and Newman appears to be a basset hound. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, all right. What, what is the Doge dog? What is that? Uh, Shiba Inu. Shiba Inu. Yeah. Right? And, you Don't know, your parents have one or something? They do have a they they do do Shiba Inu. Right. All right. Uh, I yeah. don't see him in here yet. What about, Bi- uh, yeah, I Billy a, Big Rigger right here, right? Who is this? Billy Big Rigger. No, that's Turbo and Diesel. Turbo and Diesel sitting right there. Check them out. Dachshunds, right? Yeah. And legit, right? They go right. Yeah. Took up. Well, is that a dog? No, Dachshunds are like. Dog, dog, no, that's not a Dachshund at all. Oh, that's not a dachshund. That's like a Brussels Griffon or something to that extent. Wow. Okay. Look, this is the Westminster Dog Show of Freight right here. Um, <laughs> is here that is, a dachshund? But here's also Billy Bigrigger. And a fact about him, he said, I, when they got this truck last year, this dog has the only custom-made freight liner wiener. Oh, you're right. That is a wiener dog. Wiener dog. The other one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the wiener. It's the custom-made uh Freight liner coat for a wiener dog. So got to be extra long to fill those uh, wiener bones. Never the heard bun. them announce the wiener dog as best in show at uh, the wiener Westminster. dog. Coming in. Why is it <laughs> the wiener dogs for? Some people it's like a dog quite a bit. They are from the German area. Now, uh, final dog here is my own dog. Look at that. She's she's lounging yeah. on the lounge chair right there. Sweet. Beautiful little pepper. She, uh, <laughs> she likes to chill out. Uh, with some facts about her, we adopted her when she's eight weeks old. She's originally from the South. We adopted her on a puppy ice cream truck, uh, as I like to call it. It's some sort of rescue. We want to like okay. find her. And they bring up all 
these pets, these uh, these um, like mutts that they yeah. find around in the south from all the dog breeding, and they bring them up north, and people adopt them. Oh, okay. She's a Doberman Lab mix, beautiful dog. She's uh, yeah. turned ten this year. Right. I have met her yes, in person. Ten this year. Great yes, dog. Great dog. Yeah. Uh, she's also been on the ground during every single episode of Freight Waves Insiders. So we're not going to draw the winner today. You still have a few more episodes. So on Friday and Monday, we'll be going through some more dogs. So send yours in to me. All you got to do right. is submit the dog. In there, you want to dress your cat up like a dog? Okay. You yeah, what if they have no dog? Like what do they do? You can dress yourself up like a dog, take a selfie, send it to us. That would be funny, too. Tell us a little fact about yourself, right? Put some makeup on. If you work for it, we'll make it happen. You just got to work yeah. for it a little bit. You just got to prove way, you want it. If you missed the What the Truck newsletter, subscribe to it at FreightWaves.com slash WTT. And hear about some bullying in there. Apparently, parents are calling for Alexa to change its name. Yeah, I've been reading about that. It's crazy, There's right? People just dissing on kids named Alexa. Karen's too. Karen's, uh, Karen's, there's a Facebook group. Karen's against Karen memes coming together. Hey, there's a host of shows coming up with Freight Waves TV, but you can subscribe to this one by looking up What the Truck wherever you get your podcast or download the Freight Waves TV app to watch us in stunning, beautiful HD. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find him at Vincent. The dude sent us those dog pics. Win a ticket to F3. Tell him how to be. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere. <laughs>